Welcome to our podcast today with Julia Coulson and Julia Melville. And together we run Perth Wellness Centre. We're passionate about mind, body, soul connection and mental health well-being. And today's podcast is how to support yourself when it's the last thing you feel like doing. Hi, I am Julia Coulson. I am a psychotherapist, a kundalini yoga teacher, and I have been working in the mental health field for over 15 years. I am really curious about what we hold in our subconscious that drives our behaviour that we act out without even being aware of it. And I am Julia Melville, and I am an accredited psychotherapist, and I've been working in the field of mental health for over 15 years as well. I'm also a kundalini yoga teacher, and I am fascinated by our mental and physical well-being. What happens when we neglect our mental well-being and ourselves? Our body and our mind go into a heavy, weighty decline. It feels like we're losing control. We start to neglect our well-being, and in order to manage this, we can start to over-exercise, overeat, under-eat, drink too much alcohol, take recreational drugs, not take care of our personal hygiene. Gradually, some of these coping mechanisms might stop working too, and we start to decline into a place of not wanting to function in the world. Our world becomes very inward. We don't want to engage with others with family, with friends, with work colleagues. Our energy is so heavy that whatever anyone suggests, we ignore it, don't hear it, don't want to hear it, and often get annoyed. I've always been fascinated by the knowledge that anger is a secondary emotion and that the emotional understanding of depression is suppressed anger. Anger as a secondary emotion means that it is protecting us from other stronger emotions, vulnerability, sadness, fear. We get angry to push others away, including ourselves. Many times over the years working as a psychotherapist, I have had clients say, I didn't want to come today. Or they might have missed their appointment the week before and explained they couldn't face coming because they had felt so low. This is the time when you most need support and we most need support. It can be a very lonely place when we feel so stuck with only our mind as our companion. The stories we tell ourselves start to ramp up and our behaviour becomes more erratic. I think that's a really good point because when we are in that place, that really is the time when we need support the most, support to ourselves and also support from other people. And not looking after ourselves when we are down actually is self-punishment with an underlying belief system of I am not worthy or I am not enough, which we believe is the truth. Low self-esteem, where we believe we do not deserve good things, becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Underlying this is emotional trauma and pain and this is the most common reason that we engage in self-destructive behaviour. When we engage in self-destructive behaviour, we're not thinking from a rational or conscious place. And sometimes we can be addicted to those feelings because they are so familiar to us. 
and we don't know how to process and cope with those difficult emotions that we're feeling in a healthy way. We want to ignore the pain, deny it exists, by trying to turn off our emotions. And when we turn off our emotions, we're actually disconnecting to the relationship that we have with ourselves. And unfortunately, emotions don't work in this way. Emotions eventually start to come to the surface. And that's when we turn to self-destructive behaviours to self-medicate. So depression, as you were saying earlier, Julia, is suppressed emotion. It used to be known as the wanting and needing disorder because we were neglecting ourselves and not listening to those wants and needs within us. And this occurs when there's a lot of bottled up anger. And in reality, these aggressive impulses are directed towards another, but for some reason, it's not possible for us to express them. So subconsciously, the aggression gets turned inwards towards ourselves. And this is when we learn to behave as our own worst enemy and start building self-destructive behaviors. And we've learned that emotions are not acceptable. In my own personal experience, when I was younger, I had absolutely no idea how to look after myself emotionally. I criticised and judged myself instead of being more understanding, which led to complete overwhelm, connecting to what you said earlier, Julia, about feeling out of control. That overwhelm feels absolutely out of control. And in these times, I just wanted to stay in bed, not wanting to be alive. And I had no sense of myself, only filled with self-loathing. So what really changed for me was wanting to help other people that led me to do a counselling skills course. And it was a massive change in my life as I started to learn communication skills communication with other people but also communication within myself so I was able to start talking about how I was feeling rather than bottling all those emotions up. So this was a massive change for me and counselling there's a stigma around mental health. Asking for help can be seen as weak but it can also be a form of self-neglect if we don't ask for help. Feeling in a dark place, sometimes we have to be in that dark pit to get so bored with ourselves that it motivates us to change. And no one really wants to dig through the shadows of their past to unearth the things that has caused them great pain or suffering. But sometimes if we really want to heal and feel lighter, it's absolutely necessary. And it's necessary because we are all the product of our life experiences, good and bad. Absolutely. I think that's such a valid point. And I think also while you're talking, what I'm thinking is that we're conditioned really from a very young age through nobody's fault, but through just the way society is, that we are people don't like to see people being unhappy. And so there's that um, 
that analogy which I, I learned when I was on my training that um, you know if a child falls over and hurts their knee and the parent rushes and says oh don't cry don't cry then we internalize oh I mustn't cry if I hurt myself I, I must be brave and my understanding is this where this is where a lot of this can come from this stigma of not being not wanting to acknowledge that actually we're hurting and we're we're sad or we're upset or or whatever it might be and like you were saying earlier through my own experiences I was desperate to speak to somebody when I was younger but I was so ashamed of it really as well that it felt like a weakness that I I it, it wasn't okay to reach out for help and my way of coping was with it was by being judgmental and definitely judgmental towards other people which I now understand that when we're judgmental towards others that's like being passively angry and and not really owning what's going on inside us and something I've learned that I really I talk to clients a lot about is one of the first steps is to really become aware of the language that we use towards ourselves what are those familiar sentences that we say to ourselves? Um, that I'm not good enough, I can't sing, I'm hopeless at dancing, whatever it might be, it's becoming aware of those sentences that we say, but also becoming aware of the tone of voice that we use towards ourselves and where that tone of voice has grown from. It might come, it might have come from a, a main caregiver, it might have come from a parent, it might have come from a grandparent, it might have come from a teacher. And what I've really learned over the years is it's not about blaming that parent that grandparent that teacher it's about uh, understanding that they're they're also looking after us from the place that they're in with what they've learned when they were growing up and so the cycle then continues and continues it's a really good point I loved how you uh, said with uh, when we fall over as a child and we're told you know not to cry that you know be brave though you know there are many sayings that we grow up with like you know big boys don't cry and it's that condition of not feeling what you're feeling and that's where we learn to suppress our feelings that they're not acceptable to other people and then they become not acceptable to ourselves as well yeah and underlying this is low self-esteem. And there are questions we can ask ourselves to find out if we do have low self-esteem. And it's answering from our hearts rather than our heads. And questions like, do I like myself? Do I think I'm a good human being? Am I someone deserving of love? Do I deserve happiness? Do I feel lovable? So these are really good questions just to sit with, to really feel from your heart the answer. Because it's, you know, our mind is very good at, oh, yes, of course I like myself. But actually, when we sit and really connect with do we like ourselves, you know, sometimes we actually come up with different answers. And our behaviours towards ourselves, especially the judgments and the criticisms that you were talking about, Julia, show a different story, show that actually we might not like ourselves as much as we think we do. All of those questions, if I'd asked myself those questions many years ago, I probably would have 
thought, no, to all of them. Am I lovable? No. Am I, do I like myself? No. So it's very easy to go, to fall straight into that judgmental place and think that we're not worthy of, of these really lovely emotions that we can then bring into ourselves. And, and what I've discovered also, and, and I've learned over the years, and also in my own relationship with myself, is that I know we can change. I don't just think we can change, I know we can change. And often we can think to ourselves, oh, I'm like this because my mum was like this, or I'm like this because my dad was like this and it's inherited. But actually it's also becoming aware that really a lot of our behaviours, they, they're in our DNA because of the experiences we've had growing up. And that when we start when we start to acknowledge them, and that really is the first small step, I think, is to acknowledge that there's something not completely healthy going on inside. That first step of acknowledgement is when we can start this journey of, of changing and becoming kinder to ourselves and actually becoming our best friend. We want to be our absolute best friend over and above any other best friend. We want to be our own best friend because that's the place to, to really start to make these, these shifts and to really support ourselves when it's the last thing we feel like doing. I absolutely agree that we can change. And I say that from my own personal experience. You know, I had a, a very, I was in a very dark place in my teenage years through most of my 20s and 30s and um, we absolutely can change but we really have to want it because it isn't an easy journey and it, there isn't a magic wand that changes it overnight it is a journey it's a, a journey where we have to do something every single day to be kinder to ourselves and it might just be a very small thing but it's um, when we've learnt a way of being, we have to unlearn it and relearn it. And the only way we can relearn it is to teach ourselves. So it is a journey. And, you know, quite often we want that quick fix, that quick fix that, you know, that's, you know, addictions, a quick fix or, you know, go to the doctors for an antidepressant, which, you know, that, Absolutely, there is a place for them. And also, it's knowing that there isn't a quick fix, that, but it is absolutely possible to change. Yeah, I, I really agree with that, Julia. And I think a really, um, a really important point is about antidepressants, because I've often worked with people who have felt that it's a failure to go on to antidepressants or it's a weakness to go on to antidepressants. But I always say to clients that there is a place for antidepressants. If you're in a really, really low, dark place, it can just help lift you up off the bottom so that you can then be in a place where you can acknowledge what's going on without feeling overwhelmed by it and then slowly start to bring yourself off the antidepressants because antidepressants work as a, they numb they numb what's, what we're feeling and can really, they, they can really, really support us. But in the long term, we want to come into relationship with ourselves. Basically, we really want to be honest with ourselves because we're not really being 
honest, I think, with ourselves when we're when we're in that place, uh, and and how we just push everything away, and yeah, we can really sort of self sabotage ourselves when we're in that place. It's also vital for a healthy support network, and I know that isn't always possible, but. You know, even talking to a friend or a partner or even, you know, your dog or your cat, you know, just talking can really just help uh, in ways too and really make a difference to uh, how you're feeling because it's all part of an expression. And many people think that practicing self-care is inconvenient or selfish and what is selfish about wanting to be the best version of you? Because the only way you can give yourself to others is if you give to yourself first. So it's really important that we self-care. And self-care is about giving ourselves time because we do deserve that time, that care, that kindness to ourselves. So like you said earlier, Julia, about being our best friend, our own best friend because we are the person that we live with all our lives so we can either choose to live with ourselves as an enemy or we can choose to live with ourselves as our best friend and being our best friend is way nicer way to live than being our enemy so it's about ways we can support ourselves when it's the last thing we feel like doing and there are many ways, and it's about finding your way, because what will help you might not help somebody else. What will help me might not help somebody else. So it's really finding ways um, to support yourself. So ways like meditation, listening to music. Music is a really good way of expressing emotion. I know for me, I will find a piece of music that reflects how I'm feeling and it just helps me to express it in some way. Another way is uh, films. You know, if I'm feeling sad, I might put a sad movie on and that helps me express some of that sadness. Or even, you know, if, I, if I'm feeling sad, I might want to watch a happy movie to um, lift that vibration so that I feel happier in myself. So it's finding your way, squeezing a stress ball, Unplugging from technology, exercise, eating healthily, journaling. These are all ways that help you look after yourself and help to express what is going on inside instead of bottling up. up. Yeah, I so agree with that because also I think that what I've also learned and what I observe in young children is that emotion, emotions in young children they, they have the emotion, they express it, and it passes through. And as we get older and, con and we start, these conditions start to come on top of us, we stop expressing them. And so then it's like the emotions get stuck inside and then they can't pass through. So by, as you say, by listening to music or by dancing or by watching a film that can release the emotion, whatever it is, it actually helps that emotion pass through so that it then becomes transient energy rather than stuck energy and something that really also helped 
me a lot was when I discovered something called theta healing and understanding that I chose to be born at this time. I chose to incarnate now. And I that has really, really helped me because it helps me acknowledge that, okay, I've got lessons to learn while I'm here. And these old emotions that come up, sometimes they're not, they can feel that they're not mine. And it's understanding that actually, okay, well, if they're not mine, where have they come from? And curiosity, as you know, Julia, curiosity is one of my favorite words, being curious. So instead of sitting with, why am I feeling like this? Why is this happening? Why, why, why? Because when we ask, when we say why, or we ask why to ourselves, we activate the critic and the judge within us. If we ask questions, softer questions, what is this about? What am I feeling? Is this a familiar feeling? And we start to ask more rounded questions. We can expand it out and start to have that curiosity and think, oh yeah, okay. Well, the first time I felt like this was when whatever was going on in my life. That's a really interesting point. And it was something that connects with what you said earlier about how we talk to ourselves. You know, often the critic and the judge is so automatic, we have no idea that we are even being critical to ourselves. It just is there automatically. And it's being aware of that. It's, you know, really becoming aware of how we speak to ourselves, the language that we're using. So, you know, if something, I don't know, say you drop something and it's like, oh, I'm so stupid. You know, that is a criticism and a judgment mm. and it doesn't make us feel good about ourselves. So really being aware of how you are talking to yourself. I agree. And I love that because it makes me think about sometimes if I'm really in the, if I was really, really busy, totally in my mind, I remember one day I was really busy. I had a lot of things to do and I went out for a walk with the dogs and I tripped and went over on my ankle. And before I would have been, I felt quite sort of victim and, you know, really being quite negative about the whole thing. But I then realized, okay, the universe is trying to help me here. It's trying to slow me down. It's trying to help me understand that just breathe, <laughs> and slow down and come into the present moment because when we're really really busy and thinking about all these different jobs that we're maybe needing to do or whatever it might be that's on our to-do list we're not being fully present with ourselves and when we're not fully present with ourselves we can ignore and dismiss our emotions that are coming up so from that it's how we support ourselves and look after ourselves when we make those realizations about ourselves. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So one of the things that we want to share with you on this podcast is a breath work that we use in Kundalini Yoga that is really cooling and calming. And it's called Sitali Pranyam. And you inhale through a rolled tongue, like a sausage tongue. You inhale through a rolled tongue. If you can't roll your tongue, just pop your tongue just slightly out of your mouth and breathe over your tongue. And then you exhale through your nose, really being aware of your breath, letting your breath slow down, breathing all the way down into your tummy and breathing out through your nose and breathing like that for three minutes to start with and just notice how you feel. And Sitali Pranayam, it works on the liver and emotionally the liver is where we hold anger. So that's why it's a really lovely cooling breath. 
and can really help us to center ourselves because when we're anxious and not being present, we're not aware of our breath either. We, we often just breathe in our chest. So even just doing this breath work for three minutes, even if it was three minutes in the morning, can really help calm and set you up in a grounded way for the rest of the day and with whatever your day will bring to you, you will find that you will manage it in a, a different way. And also doing it three minutes before going to bed um, is a really lovely way to release those tensions of the day so that you can enjoy a better night's sleep. So three minutes can really make a difference. And if you can do it for longer, even better. Yes, it's about really listening to your body. And if you feel like doing it for five minutes, seven minutes, 11 minutes, just go with what feels right for you. And it, it, it can be different every day. One day you might feel like doing it for three minutes. The next day you might feel like well, keep doing this and you do it for 10 minutes. So it's really listening to your body. The other thing that can really help is sound, sound therapy. So if you can find either find somebody who does sound therapy. So I really, what I love about sound therapy is that it can really release stuck energies in the body again. And, and Julia and I, we both uh, run sound therapies and we run workshops with sound therapy and we will use drums and we both play the gong and various other different instruments. And it just is the most amazing way to just really come into yourself and to release that, that negative energy. It's a really amazing way to release tension and uh, to help with relaxation and it, it really works on a cellular level. Sort of shaking those cells up, I liken it to a, a snow globe when they get shaken up and then they settle back down into their sort of new normal after having released some stress and tension. I love snow globes. I used to love, I used to have snow globes when I was little. I used to absolutely love them. They're one of my favorite things. Another thing that can help us is dancing. So as Julia was saying, as you were saying earlier, Julia, putting some music on, listening to the music, but also put some music on that you can dance to and jump about to, because again, it brings you into your body. You become aware of your hands, your arms, your feet, your legs, your torso. And it can really just help you become present because Really, it is about being present with ourselves because when we're using, as I was saying earlier, when we start to neglect our well-being, we can go into distractions with food or drink or whatever it might be. It might be shopping. Um, whatever it might be, we're not being fully present with ourselves in that moment. So we want to bring things in to bring us into presence really bring us into being present with ourselves and, and as we were saying earlier acknowledging those feelings acknowledging them and then thinking as Julia as you said earlier we get so bored I got so bored with the stories I was telling myself I just thought okay enough <laughs> enough it's time to change I am so bored with telling myself that whatever it was that I was telling myself and that's that's the, the beginning of the journey as well Movement is an amazing way to release energy from the body. And, you know, as you described, Julian, 
dancing, which I know really works for you and you love it. Um, and there are other ways using the body with movement. So even if it was going for a stomp, but with the intention of, you know, releasing anger or sadness or whatever it is, you know, having a stomp and um, or even punching a pillow, you know, having a pile of cushions on the floor and, and punching into them is a really, really good way of releasing and expressing through movement as well. Because what I love about music and, and sound therapy and things like that is that it actually accesses the emotions in the subconscious, as, as you were saying earlier, Julia, that we're so often not able to really understand that subconscious emotion. And so by doing these different forms of movement and healing modalities, it can really help us release things from our subconscious. Mm. And sometimes we don't need to understand what they are. Exactly. It's just about feeling them and allowing them and releasing them. Mm. We don't always, you know, it's our mind that wants to know. It's our mind that wants to figure it all out. But actually we can bypass the mind and just allow it and, mm. you know, not have to understand what it is, where it's come from, but just allow it and release it. That makes me think about the first Kundalini yoga retreat that we went on all those years ago. And Julia and I were looking for a retreat to go on and we came across one for Hatha yoga and it had Kundalini yoga. And, and we were both very familiar with Hatha yoga, but not with Kundalini. And there was, and it said there would be chanting and mantras. And we both thought, Oh, that sounds really uncomfortable, but we went and in one of the careers we were doing, and a career is a set of exercises, in one of the careers that we were doing, I started crying. And I thought, where's that come from? And I talked to the teacher afterwards, and she said, you don't need to know why or what it's about. Just know that you're releasing that energy from your body. And I felt so amazing afterwards. I felt lighter and just different without needing to put words to it. It's amazing how powerful the mind can be the stories we tell ourselves, the ways we keep ourselves small, the ways we contract ourselves. And a lot of it is the mind. Is there anything else that you would like to share, Julia, now? No. I think apart from be kind to yourself, mm -hmm. if we were all kinder to ourselves, how amazing life would be and I think particularly in these current times that we're going through as we're recording this we're, we're currently in the lockdown in another lockdown and it is more important than ever because actually my understanding of what's going on at the moment is also this is a time for stillness and for peace and to really understand our relationship with ourself and one of the I know there's some really awful things going on in the world at the moment um, and the whole world is suffering. But one of the things that can really, really support us is getting out into nature because nature has no idea that the pandemic's going on. You know, the bulbs are still coming up. The snowdrops are flowering at the moment. The daffodils are starting to poke through the snow that we have at the moment. And, and it's really connecting with nature is just so, so magical. Nature's a powerful healer. Yeah, it really is. 
So we really hope that you've enjoyed this podcast and listening to it. And if anything's come up or you want to uh, email us about anything or you have any questions that you want to ask us, you can find us at Perth Wellness Centre. If you Google uh, www.julia2.com, you will find out how to contact us and you'll find out various things about us from there. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much.